Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Force. Join us now for a service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, we're going to read verse 31 there, and then we'll slip down into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, for the last uh, couple of Sundays that I've ministered here, we have uh, talked about love. Uh, we've been working out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We talked about the challenge of love, and uh, we talked about, uh, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we talked about the challenge of love. Then, last week, we went from verses 4 all the way down through verse 8, and we talked about how that love conducts itself, how that real love conducts itself. Now, today, I want to talk to you for a few moments on the natural progression of godly love, the natural progression of godly love. I want you to pray with me before we get going here, okay? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to worship you and to serve you in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word today. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear and their hearts to receive. Thank you for what you're doing at Lakewood. Thank you for what you're doing in this community. And Lord, I pray that this message would be a message of inspiration to this congregation today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now the scriptures say here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now if we go over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we read about the first five or six verses, it talks about the gifts, the operations, the manifestations, and the administrations of the Spirit. And uh, then it goes on and it talks about the body of Christ. And it talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and different things like that. It talks about all of these uh, different things. Then we go on down here to verse 31 and it says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now what this is saying here in this passage of Scripture is, if we look at it in context, is you can prophesy... You can have the gift of tongues. You can have the gift of faith. You can have the gift of the working of miracles. You can have the word of wisdom. You can have the word of knowledge. All of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can have all of that at the end of the chapter. It says, covet earnestly the best gifts. And after you have coveted earnestly all of the best gifts, then I'm still going to show you a more excellent way. Now I want you to understand this morning in the groundwork of this message and this teaching that the book of Corinthians was written as an epistle, just like all of Paul's 13 epistles. There are 26 books in the New Testament. 13 of them are Pauline. That means Paul wrote them. Now, uh, if you uh, Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and Paul would write them as an epistle, which means it was not divided into chapters and verses. It was like a letter. And so the book of Galatians was a letter that was written to the church at Galatia. The book of Ephesians was a letter that was written to the church at Ephesus. The book of First and Second Thessalonians was written to uh, the church at Thessalonica. First and Second Timothy was actually to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Here in Corinthians, this was a letter, the first of two letters, that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 
And so when we read this, we divide it up into chapters and verses because it makes it easier for us to study and whatnot. But when Paul was writing this, I want you to understand that there was no end to chapter 12 and no beginning to chapter 13 because chapter 12 and chapter 13 in that framework did not necessarily exist. The words were there, but it wasn't chapter 12 and it wasn't chapter 13. So when we're reading this, what we can do is we can just kind of skip through where it says the word there, chapter 13, and just slip right into verse number 1 as the same letter. So when we do it like that, we say, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. When we read it like that, then it communicates to us what that more excellent way was. The more excellent way was the way of love. Charity is love. So the more excellent way was the way of love. So here's what Paul was saying. He was saying, you can speak in tongues all day long. You can prophesy all day long. You can work miracles all day long. But the most spiritual thing you will ever do is love somebody. That's the most spiritual thing that you will ever do. Then we go down here to starting in verse number 8 and through the balance of the chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now I want to go back to verse number 8 here where the Bible said that charity or love never faileth, Fails, And then it goes on and it says, Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. So in other words, they can cease, they can fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. There are some people that have taken this one scripture here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8 and taught many people, thousands of people all around the world just because the scriptures say, Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. They've used that scripture to solidify the teaching that speaking in tongues is not for today. Well, if you look at this passage of scripture in context, if, if that means that speaking in tongues uh, is not for today because it said tongues will cease, then you would have to, in context, say, then faith ceases and hope ceases and prophecy ceases and all of that ceases. Now, I want to ask you this question. Does our faith in Christ cease? Has it ceased? It hasn't. Has Jesus, has the blood run out at Calvary? It hasn't, has it? No. As long as there is sinful man, there will be blood to cover that sin and eradicate that sin and remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. What this is saying is this. It says charity never fails. There might be times, times when you are prophesying and all of a sudden that spirit of prophecy will lift off of you and you will no longer prophesy for that season. There might be times when you are praying in the Spirit and speaking with tongues, and the Bible teaches us that we can do that. One of these days, again, here soon, I'll teach on that. But it says right there that whether there be tongues, they shall cease. There are times when you'll be praying in tongues, but you're not going to pray in tongues all day long, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, are you? No, no more than you would prophesy 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 
You call somebody for breakfast tomorrow morning and you say, hey, how you doing? And they start prophesying to you. They sit down to eat breakfast and they just want to keep prophesying to you. All they want to do is speak and tell. No, no, what the Bible is saying is that whether there be prophecies, they will cease. Whether they tongues, they... So there are times in our lives when we're praying, we're praying in tongues, and the Bible puts it like this, I will pray with the understanding and I will pray in the Spirit. So there are times when I'm praying, I'm praying in English, which is my language. I'm praying in English and then the the Lord will slip me over into tongues. And so it's saying that there are times when you pray in English, there's times you pray in tongues. There's times you prophesy, there's times when you don't prophesy. There's times when you work miracles, there's times when you don't work miracles. But charity is not like that. Love is not like that. You just love all the time, everywhere, everybody, all of the time. Love doesn't start and stop like prophecy starts and stops, like tongues start and stop, like faith starts and stops, like hope starts and stops. No, love just goes on and on and on and on. And then you go on here and you can read verses 9 through 12 and basically what that's talking about is the natural progression of revelation, the natural progression of revelation through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit as he comes alongside of us as our paraclete, which means the one called alongside to help. And he does his work. He teaches us and he leads us and he guides us into all truth. And in the process of that teaching and leading and guiding, there are things that I will understand tomorrow that I do not understand today. And the reason I don't understand them today is because I am not spiritually advanced enough to understand it today. So I have to learn what I need to learn today, which will then be, which is fresh revelation for me from the Word of God, which will become the foundation of what God is going to teach me tomorrow. You understand? Now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Sometimes my understanding isn't fruitful. Sometimes I'm enlightened. Here's what the apostle prayed. He said, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you that the Holy Spirit would teach, that the Holy Spirit would lead, that the Holy Spirit would guide. So we see here, verses 9 through 12, we see an example of the natural progression of the revelation of God's love through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he caps it off in verse number 13 when he says, And now abides faith and hope and charity and these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So here's what he's saying. Prophecy, you'll prophesy for a while and then you won't for a while. And then you'll prophesy and you won't. Speak in tongues for a while and then you won't. Speak in tongues for another while, then you won't. But faith and hope and love are constants. They're constantly there and the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is charity. So the most spiritual thing that you can do is not prophesy to someone, not pray in tongues over them, the most spiritual thing that you can do is love somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, I love you. Tell them, I love you with the love of the Lord. So let's talk a little bit about the natural progression of godly love today. With that foundation kind of laid, let's talk a little bit about it, okay? All right, here we go. Love starts with God. Love starts with God. Let's just go to that very familiar passage of Scripture. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you want to read that with me out loud? Come on, let's do that together. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved this world that He would send His Son. Now, we go to verse number 17 and I always quote 17 with 16 because I don't want people to get confused. Verse number 17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So this is not a gospel of condemnation. This is not a gospel of guilt for sin. This is not a gospel where we beat people over the head and preach hell hot and heaven high. No, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. Jesus did not come and die on Calvary to condemn you of your sin. He came and died on Calvary to save you from your sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he did that. Love starts with God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10 says this, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. Manifested means to show. And this was shown, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Verse number 10 says this, Here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So we see that God loved the world. We see that here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. We see that love starts with God. God started this whole love journey by loving us first. We can go to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and find where the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He sure did. He died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is this passage saying to us? It's saying that it's not hard, necessarily too hard, for us to die for a good man. But who would die for a sinner? Who would die for a lost person? Who would die for someone who wronged you? Who would die for someone who's meant harm for you? Who would do that? Jesus? Jesus? Now look here in verse number 8. I love this. God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How many of you have ever been to a military penning where they would pin somebody? Like they would give them bars or star or something like that. That penning is known, they would, be, they would receive a commendation. A commendation for what they were doing. And so they're standing there and the President of the United States or the General or whoever pins that person with that commendation. From that point on, wherever that person goes, whatever that person says they have that commendation as a part of their life. And sometimes that commendation, in fact, probably all of the time, that commendation completely changes their entire life. When we look at verse number 8 here in Romans chapter 5, where the Bible says, But God commendeth His love toward us, 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's that, what that is saying is God pinned His love on you. He gave you the commendation of His love. And listen, He didn't give you the commendation of His love after you embraced Him. He didn't give you the commendation of His love after you acknowledged the fact that He died on Calvary and became the supreme sacrifice for the world's sin. No, He gave you the commendation of His love while you were still in sin, while you were yet sinners. You know what that tells me? That tells me no matter how dirty, how filthy, how raunchy, spiritually speaking, I am. I am pinned with the love of God. And as long as I walk around and have the commendation of God's love inside of me, then that love gives me access to the heart of God. And in the heart of God is God's love for lost people so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for sin. And Jesus dying on Calvary, that blood becomes available to me because I was pinned with the love of God. I received the commendation of the love of God on my life. Now I say this every now and then, and I'm going to say it again here because I don't want you to ever forget it. It was not your sin that compelled Jesus to die on the cross. It was His love for you. It was His love for you. So love starts with God. Touch your neighbor and say, love starts with God. All right, you're with me. Number two, love was modeled through Jesus Christ. Jesus loves us. Listen to this. Because His Father God loves us. And then He asked us to live in that same love. John chapter 15 verse 9, He said this, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So what Jesus was saying is, I love you because the Father loves you. Now I'm going to ask you to love others because I love you the way the Father loves you. So if He loves us the way the Father loves us, and He asks us to love people the way He loves people, then He's asking us to love folks the way the Father loves them. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, Look at verse number 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So love was modeled through Jesus Christ when He became the sacrifice for our sin. Number 3. Christian love is lived out through kingdom-minded People. Now, I'm going to give you a statement. I told him in the first service about this. I'm going to give you a statement. I was working on this message. We've been very busy this week, and I actually finished this message up about midnight last night in the motel up in Lake City. And uh, it was about midnight, and we had to get up at 5 o'clock to get here in time for the first service. And I was putting the finishing touches on this message, and the Lord gave me this phrase. And it, it just about kept me up. In fact, I went to bed and laid down. My eyes were like, you know... And Donna said, do you need a melatonin? <laughs> I said, no, honey. I said, I'm going to go to sleep. I think I'm going to go to sleep. But here's the phrase that kept me up for a few minutes. Are you all ready for this? Christ loved us so much 
that he was willing to go to hell without us so he could go to heaven with us. <laughs> Did you hear that? Christ loved us so much that he was willing to go to hell without us so he could go to heaven with us. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15, in the Amplified Bible, here's what the Bible says. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us. I am no longer living under the control of sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you would fulfill it in the lust thereof. I am not living under the influence or the control of sin anymore. I'm living under the influence and the control of God's love. Because God's love, the love of Christ, controls and urges and impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. Now what this is talking about here is that Jesus went and died in our place. He died in our place. It's not necessary for us to pay the price for our sin anymore. Jesus paid the price for our sin. Before Calvary, there were a lot of lambs that were slain. There were a lot of turtle doves that died. There was a lot of sacrifice that was taking place. But God loved us so much to send His Son Jesus to come to be the Lamb that would be slain from the foundation of the world and then He would enter one time into the holy place to obtain eternal redemption for you and I. That's found in the book of Hebrews. And then it goes on here and it says, If one died for all, then all, uh, then all have died. And then verse number 15, And He died for all so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for Him who died. And then he was raised again for their sake. Hallelujah. That's verse number 15. Now this is Palm Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. They laid palm branches before him. He was on a, on a colt. In the King James Version it says, upon which no man had sat. He rode the colt in there. He's coming down through the gates. And he's going down the street. And they're crying, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna. And Jesus is looking around there. This is called Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. This is called Holy Week. Jesus is looking around there. And you know that he knew that the very people that were crying Hosanna in just a few days would be crying, crucify him. What made him go through with it? Because he knew by the following Sunday he would be raising from the dead. He knew that he would defeat the power of death, hell, and the grave. He knew that the journey that laid ahead of him, what a difference a week can make. He knew that the journey that laid ahead of him was a journey of emotional up and down, of upheaval, of, of, of extreme pain and extreme sorrow. He knew that in that week there was going to be praise and betrayal and in that week there was going to be weeping and tears and laughter and scoffing and mocking. He knew that during that week that he would bear the sin of the entire world upon his body, upon a, a, a hill called Golgotha, on a place that we call a cross. 
He knew that he would die. He knew before, before he died that he would hang suspended between heaven and earth and cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he also knew that on the third day he would raise in resurrection and in power and bring to pass the saying that is written, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He knew that. He knew that, so he was willing to walk the Via Dolorosa. He was willing to go up Calvary's mountain. He was willing to go to the way of the cross. He was willing to go through Calvary. He was willing to allow himself to be put in a borrowed tomb. And then he was willing to allow the Spirit of God to come upon him. And if the Spirit of God that raised up Christ from the dead, the Bible says, dwell in you, he will also quicken your mortal body. So Jesus was willing to go through it because he knew on the other side there was resurrection power. Christian love is lived out through kingdom-minded people. Why would he do this? He did it for you because of love. And he did it for me. Paul explains the influence of and the importance of embracing the love of Christ by every believer in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21 in the Amplified. Here's what he said. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. In Him I have shared His crucifixion. The actual Greek word for that would be koinonia, which would mean partnership. And so what he was saying, I've been crucified with Christ. I've shared His crucifixion. If I suffer with Him, I know that I will also reign with Him. The crucifixion was a contractual agreement. A contractual agreement that was put together. Uh, up, Up for bid or up for purchase were the souls of all humanity. The price was the blood of Jesus. The price was paid on Calvary. That blood washed and cleansed us from all of our sin. And so when we look at this, when the Apostle Paul said to the Galatian church, I was crucified with him, and in him I've shared his crucifixion, he was saying, I came into partnership with him on his sufferings. In every contract, there are different sides to the contract. There are things that you give, there are things that they give. Jesus said, I'll give my life, and if you'll come into partnership with me on that, then you can receive everything that Calvary paid for. Now, with that truth, let me ask you this question. When I do not receive everything that Calvary paid for, then I'm cheapening the cross of Christ. When I say things like, well... You know what? I mean, I know that this works for a whole lot of people, but it really just doesn't work for... I've just been too bad. I just don't think the Lord could ever forgive me for that. Can I submit to you Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, where the Bible says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Can I give you that scripture? You say, well, I just don't know. You know, this sickness is just, you know, it's something that I'm just going to have to put up with. You know, well, what about the scripture where the Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So make myself available for that. I make myself available. I position myself through relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ to make myself available for everything that Calvary paid for. And this is what that passage is talking about there. When the Apostle Paul said, I was crucified with Christ, in Him I have shared in His crucifixion. And he goes on, he said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ 
the Messiah who lives in me and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in him, by adherence to and reliance and, and complete trust in him. We go, we, we look at that there. It says, it says I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. So what he's saying is I'm going to come into partnership with him because of love. He's made salvation available to me because of Calvary. He's made healing available to me because of Calvary. He's made joy unspeakable and full of glory available to me because of Calvary. He's made favor and abundance available to me because of Calvary. So I'm going to come into partnership with Him and make myself available through relationship to be the recipient of what Calvary paid for. And when we do that, God invades our life. And when God invades our life, oh, listen to me. When God invades our life the way that He wants to, when people see you, they no longer see you, but they see the God that's in you. They see the Jesus that's in you. They feel His presence. They experience His joy. And they see and they experience His power. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Life change at the foot of the cross. That's what it's all about. Therefore, I do not treat Verse 21, God's gracious gift has something of minor importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace or the unmerited favor of God for if justification, righteousness, acquittal acquittal from guilt comes through the observance or the ritual of the law, then Christ the Messiah died died groundlessly. In the King James Version it said He died in vain and to no purpose. His death was then wholly superfluous. So what he was saying was this. Time to get up. (laughs) Time to quit, preacher. Okay. I know whose phone that was so I can pick on him. Here's what the Scripture is telling us. Here's exactly what the Scripture is telling us. It's telling us that we're no longer under the law. Because it says here in verse number 21, if I observe things that are under the law and I don't pay attention to the, to the cross of Christ and Calvary, then Christ died in vain. And all of His suffering was groundless. And so here's what, is, he's, what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us. He's telling us that we are no longer under the law. When you were under the law, you saw through a glass darkly. When you were under the law, your understanding was limited. And your understanding may be limited to a certain degree right now. But we have access to the wisdom and the revelation and the interpretation of the Scriptures through the work of the Holy Spirit today. The work of the Holy Spirit comes and leads and teaches and guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit was not in the earth corporately for that purpose under the law. The law is the foundation of the life of grace that we live today. That's what the law is. Jesus said, I've not come to destroy the law. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. In other words, I've come to complete it. I've come to fill it up. And then he goes on and he says, now here's a better way. You're not getting rid of the law necessarily, but, but what you're doing is you're using it as your foundation. There's a lot of things in the law today that we no longer do because we live under grace. You want me to give you an example? If I wanted to divorce my wife, I just had to look at her and say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And she, under the law, had to walk out the door with nothing but the clothes on her back. didn't matter how long she was married to me. Now, if I said that to her today, she'd say, in your dreams, buddy, straighten up. (laughs) 
Do we live, live under the law? How many of you love your kids? Under the law, if you had a rebellious child, you had the right to stone them to death. How many of you ever wanted to just rock your kids? I mean, just... Well, you can be put in jail today for that, but under the law, it was legal. You could do that under the law. Well, Jesus came. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I came to fulfill it. In other words, I came to fill all of that stuff up and then open up a new and better way, which is the way of God's love and the way of God's grace. So, the last thing I want to talk to you about today is this. We've talked about how that love starts with God. Then we talked about how that love was modeled through Jesus. We've talked about how the Christian love is lived out through kingdom-minded people. Now, I didn't, I didn't mention this. I mentioned it in the first service. Just let me mention it real quick, and it's just fodder for thought. But in the Scriptures, there's only five or six different places where the Bible actually refers to the church as the church. I mean, the word church in the Greek ecclesia, the assembly of called-out ones, is only found five or six times in the Scripture. But the kingdom, the word kingdom, is found many, many, many times. And I think the reason is because sometimes we, God didn't want us to get focused on just the church. He wanted us to be kingdom-minded instead of just local-minded. Now, we've got to take care of the local things, but the church is part of the kingdom of God. Now, the last thing I want to share with you is this. In the natural progression of God's love, God's love will motivate us. To love one another. So it starts with God, was modeled by Jesus, embraced by kingdom-minded people, and now motivates us to love one another. John chapter 13, verses 3, 34 and 35 says this, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now let's go back to the very first phrase of that. Jesus said, these are, these are words written in red. Jesus said, a new commandment. The word commandment is a contract. It's a testament. And he said a new commandment. Now I don't know if any of you, some of you have bought homes, some of you bought cars, some of you had to do contracts. You've been in business, you have to do contracts. You can take a contract and you can change that contract and you can make one small adjustment on that contract and that entire contract has to be re-ratified. And everything that was done before on that contract is subject to the changes on that contract. That means whatever the fresh ink says, that trumps everything else. Jesus said a new commandment I give you. A new part of the covenant I give you. And he said that new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. Once again we see where the love of God is primary. The love of God is the most powerful force in the entire world. It's more powerful than prophecy it's more powerful than tongues. It's more powerful than working miracles. It's more powerful than wisdom and revelation. All these things in the scripture here. The love of God is the most powerful force on the face of the earth today. And he offers that love to you. And he offers to pour it 
through me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By this, by the love of God, not by your prophecy, not by all of your prayers, not by any, by the love of God, people will know that you're my disciple. That's the mark of discipleship. It's not about how much you shout when you come to church. It's not about whether you can dance a fancy jig. It's not about those things. It's not about how great you can sing. It's not even about uh, how good I can preach. It's, it's not. It's about, it's about the love of God. The love of God is the most powerful force on the face of this earth. And in 1 John 4 and verse number 11, the Bible says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And that means the rascals too. I have a little story I want to read to you in closing. I don't know where Blake's at, but there he is. He's right there. He was over in that corner all the time. I just kept looking at Frank and couldn't see Blake. Hallelujah. It's because Frank's so proud of Blake, he was just beaming. The glow was there. Here's a story I want to read to you. It touched my heart and I wanted to share it with you. Three paragraphs. Miss Thompson taught Teddy Stollard in the fourth grade. He was a slow, unkept student, a loner shunned by his classmates. The previous year, his mother died, and with little motivation for school, he may have once had, that he may have once had, that motivation was now gone. Miss Thompson didn't particularly care for Teddy either, but as the Christmas time came around, he brought her a small present. Her desk was covered with well-wrapped presents from the other children, but Teddy's came in a brown sack. When she opened it, there was a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker, but Miss Thompson saw the importance of the moment, so she quickly splashed on some perfume and put on the bracelet, pretending that Teddy had given her something very special. At the end of the day, Teddy walked up to her and worked up enough courage to softly say, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother and her bracelet looks really pretty on you too. I'm glad you like my presence. After Teddy left, Miss Thompson got down on her knees and prayed for God's forgiveness. She prayed for God to use her as she sought to not only teach these children but to love them as God loves them as well. And she became a new teacher that day. She lovingly helped students like Teddy. And by the end of the year, Teddy had caught up with most of the students. Miss Thompson didn't hear from Teddy for a long time. Then she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, she got another note. Dear Miss Thompson, they told me I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stallard. Four years later, dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month. I want you to come and sit where my mother what if she were alive? You're the only family I have left now. 
His daddy died last year. Love, Teddy Stoddard. Look at what love can do. Look at what love can do. I'm going to issue to you the same challenge that I issued in the first service today. Your assignment, I don't do this very often, but your assignment from your pastor this week is to find somebody to love. Just as you go through the week, maybe as easy as seeing a downtrodden child and giving them a toy or a hug or a smile or an ear. Maybe buy coffee for the person in the line behind you or maybe the one in front of you. Just tell them, God loves you and so do I. You don't have to tell them your name. Just tell them, that's not important. This is from the Lord. He loves you. I've told my children on occasion when they would get a little bit downcast or downtrodden, I'll tell them every now and then. It's been a while since I've had to tell them this, but every now and then I would tell them, go to the local nursing home and walk down the hallways and just walk into the rooms and try to light up someone's life. And I think they've probably done it a time or two. I don't know. They don't tell me too much about things like that, but... They probably have done it a time or two. And I challenge you to do that this week. Well, they haven't invited me. Tell that to the person that you're going to light up their life. Well, you didn't invite me, so they'll say, well, you come anytime. There are ways to share God's love. There are ways to impact people. Just be the light of God's love to the world that's lost and undone without Him. Who knows? That person you touch today might be another Teddy Stollard. They might be a child today, but because of your influence on their life, just in a moment of God's love, it could change the entire trajectory of their life. You are never more like God than when you engage in the spiritual activity of love of love let's stand and I'm not saying this because I preach this message but I want you to know I love you you have no idea how much I love you while heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around please Maybe you're here this morning. I just want to take a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you might say to me, Pastor Jonathan, I don't really understand, you know, how to do all of this. I, you know, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to give my life to Christ. All of this is new to me and all of that. But I do realize that I need to give my life to the Lord because I want to go to heaven and, and I want His activity. I want His influence in my life. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you've served Him and just fallen away and you want to renew your heart for the Lord, would you just lift your hand up and right back down? I'll pray with you where you are. Okay, okay. All right. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Anyone else? Anyone else? 
five, six hands. So anyone else? Oh my goodness, seven. Hallelujah. There we go. Eight. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, where you're standing, I want you to pray with me. And just kind of repeat these words. Mean them from your heart. You can put them in your language, you know, your verbiage. But just pray this prayer. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a Christian. I believe that you're the Son of God. That you died for me because you love me. And now I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And I confess you now as my Savior and as my Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4, Jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.